Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Hi guys and girls, and welcome to another guest episode of the podcast. The interview with Nkalan Angus was done via Zoom, as most of my interviews are, but the internet connection from his hotel quarantine room was just a little unstable this time, so the sound quality might be a little worse than you're used to. Not a big problem though, and it was amazing to have an Asian guest on again. I also guarantee you that he had a few very interesting points to share, so the entire episode is well worth a listen. And remember to stay tuned at the end of the interview where I share a few of my takeaways from the chat. And final thing before we get to the interview, I just want to thank my newest patron, number 44, Nathan. Welcome to the club, Nathan. Your support is much appreciated. And as always, you can all join the club at patreon.com slash and support with any amount you like. You'll be charged once a month and you can stop again whenever you want. Now, let's pass it on to the interview with Hong Kong number one, Nkalong Angus. Today's guest is a former world junior champion in men's doubles, but he is more widely known for his single skills. He has beaten the legends Lin Dan, Lee Chang Wei, Chen Long, and in 2016, he became the first ever home player to win the Hong Kong Open in men's singles. His current world ranking is eight, and he made the final of Yonex Thailand Open just last month. Most of us think of him as being a very consistent performer who always seems to be in control of his emotions on court, so today I plan to find out all of his secrets so that maybe next time I play him, I can also beat him. Nkalong Angus, welcome to my show. Hi, hello everyone. Very nice to, uh, to have you on. Angus, when I did research for, uh, for this interview, I noticed something uh, quite funny. I noticed that uh, my followers said... What is it? Yeah, my followers said that you are a fan of Indomie, and so am I. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, yes, it's true. Uh, I, uh, more than once, I I tell everyone in the interview that I like Indomie very much. Okay. Starting from maybe six years old. Ah, okay. And is I, it because you have I, you you I have some Indomie Indonesian? When I was very young. Ah, okay, and you have some Indonesian family, right? Uh, my grandmother was born in Indonesia, but he, uh, she, she's a Chinese, but she can speak okay. Indonesian and she lives in Indonesia for many years when she was young. Ah, okay. So m- maybe that's where you got the love for Indomie from. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you speak any Indonesian? Uh, no, I can just no. speak very few words. Like Delhi uh, Makasi okay. and uh, Makan means uh, eat. Mm, yeah. So you, you want to uh, Makan some uh, Indomie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I actually, just before we started uh, this interview, I received 160 packs of Indomie from, uh, from the company called Indofood. <laughs> How long do you think you, you have to take to finish them? Ah, too long, too long. I, I think I have to give some away for my friends because I, I don't think I can eat 160 packs uh, before they are, they are getting too old. <laughs> How many packs do you eat one time? 
Only one. Because I, I don't. I, I don't eat a, a lot, but uh, whenever I eat some, I just eat uh, one pack. It's more for me. It's more uh, like a snack. I don't eat it as a uh, like my dinner or uh, or lunch. I'm for me more like a just a snack. Do, do you eat it like a, a dinner sometimes? Sometimes. Yeah. I, I also have some control on my diet, so I can yeah. have it every meal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, oh, that's true. It's it's not the most most uh, healthy thing, that's for sure. We will uh, move on, Angus, and talk uh, a bit more about badminton and not only uh, Indo me, if uh, that's okay with you. The first uh, subject uh, for today will be talking about uh, singles versus doubles, because as I mentioned in the. Uh, the introduction uh you actually won gold at the world junior championships in uh, boys doubles but obviously we all know you as a, a world-class uh, singles player and uh, nowadays so can can you explain why you chose to go for a singles career and not a uh, doubles career when you were so successful as a junior it's because i i'm not really enjoy playing doubles in my junior time because first of all I I think my potential is more like a single player than a doubles player because doubles players usually are very powerful and they are very strong and their reactions are very fast but it's like uh, just uh, opposite to me so I I don't have a, a great uh, or potential doubles uh, so Therefore, I, I chose single in my senior career. Mm. It, it's quite impressive to hear that you think your skill set is not the best for doubles and still you became world junior champion. That is uh, pretty good. <laughs> uh, because, uh, because I have a good partner. Uh, okay. All right. Who, who were you partnering? I partner with Lee Shen Hei. Do you remember him? Uh. Yeah, I remember. He was also very good at senior level. Was he like top four in the world in mixed doubles at one point? Yeah, and, and he was the Asian champion in yeah. mixed doubles. Okay, yeah, so he is a quite good partner, that's for sure. Do you think that from uh, all the doubles you played, that you learned some things in doubles that that's an advantage for you now as, as a singles player? Yeah, uh, I think I, I can use many double skills to put into mm. my singles uh, playing form, like uh, the the defense and the drive and mm. the, the the stick smash, and then to follow up and just uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm. uh, I think playing doubles in my junior career helps me a lot in my senior career. Yeah, definitely. But it also it sounds to me like. You- the the way you describe it, there was never any doubt for you that it was singles you were going to pursue. You you never thought that okay maybe I can try doubles. You always been focused also as a junior on your singles, or has it as a junior been fifty fifty at any time? I, I think I was quite clear uh, about myself, and for me doubles is just uh, not my main focus. Yeah, all right, that that does make sense. Was there ever, like, what about the coaches? Did they agree as well that singles was the, the best choice or did you kind of have to prove to the coaches that singles is the right way to go or did they always support your choice? Yeah, you know, uh, in Hong Kong, 
there are not many men's doubles player. So yeah. if um, if I paired continue pairing with Lee Shen Hei, and we will be most likely the first men's doubles in Hong Kong. So uh, maybe we and and the coaches thinks we we have a high potential to to become a world class pair. So they wanted me to focus on doubles and pairing with Lee Shen Hei. Um, for for the uh, for the for our future career, but um, for me, I uh, ignored their uh, opinion and I just focus on my on on my plan, and that's why I feel a, a little bit pressure on playing singles because uh, the com- competition in our team is quite large, quite quite huge, and we have Hu Yun and we have Wang Qi and also Wei Nan and I was just a young player and I have to compete with them with uh, Olympic quali- uh, qualification. So uh, it really gives me a very large pressure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think it's uh, it's really inspiring to hear actually that you you were not afraid of being true to yourself, you did what you felt was the right choice for you and not not necessarily listening to what the, the coaches say. And I, I think that's a very good lesson also for for the young players, not that they should not listen to their coaches, but you still need to make the decision that's the right one for you. And obviously with the level you have now in singles, you have made a, a pretty good decision in, uh, in choosing singles. And I'm sure the coaches also support you now that it was a good choice. Yeah, but in my early career, like I was 18 or 19, I mm. uh, when I start focusing on singles, I always lost in tournaments in the mm. first or second round. And someone would uh, start coming out to say, uh, you should focus on doubles instead of singles. And you see now, you, you can't reach your full potential when you play singles, blah, blah, blah. Mm. They're mm. Uh, talking a lot to me uh, and this made me feel very very upset mm, yeah is there like one point in your career now where you feel you reached uh, like a point where everyone accepted that you're a singles player i'm thinking like maybe when you won hong kong open then people stop complaining or or do you still every now and then feel that that some people are not happy with the your choice in playing singles? I think the point that I uh, I won the Pittsburgh Open in 2015. Yeah. And this is the uh, first major title in my career. And I, I beat my teammates in, in the finals. And so uh, from that point, uh, our my coach started realizing that <clears throat> I, I can also compete with the senior uh, to, to realize my ability in singles. Yeah, all right. And then, then you proved another point one year later when you won the Hong Kong Open. I want to talk a bit more about uh, about Hong Kong Open, actually. Um, so obviously, it's uh, an important moment for you in uh, your career. And uh, so far, I would say it's probably also your, your biggest win, right? Yeah, I think the it's, it's, biggest title. 
Yeah, biggest title, yeah. What I think is really uh, interesting to talk about in that tournament is something you also mentioned with Bitburger, that you beat your teammates. Because in Hong Kong Open, in the semifinal, you had to play against uh, Hu Yun, who was, of course, uh, your senior on the team, and he's been very successful. He's been ranked, uh, I think, two in the world uh, at his best. So I imagine that match, the semifinal against Hu Yun, was... Uh, like mentally the most uh, challenging one for you. Do, do you remember kind of how you went into that match? Were you feeling more nervous because it was a match against Hu Yun or were you just uh, excited and, and believing you could win? Like, like how do you remember your feeling going into the semifinal against him? You should also understand that playing against our teammates is always not easy because we all know uh, each other very well and we know each other's playing styles, tactics, uh, whatever on court. So, and the result of it affects the, the, in our coach's heart. And so uh, there are a lot of pressure before the match. I, I'm younger than him and <clears throat> I, I treat him as <clears throat> my senior. I tell myself to give all my pressure to him. And after I, I took the first set, and everything goes very smoothly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty close. I think it was twenty-one nineteen, and then twenty-one seven in the uh, in the second game. Well, that that's also the thing yeah. with the Hu, Hu Yun that sometimes he's uh, on yeah, fire, yeah, and then yeah, sometimes he's just uh, he doesn't want to play anymore. It, it looks like that for sure, but. Then in the final, you had to play uh, Samir uh, Verma from uh, from India, uh, and that was a pretty uh, tough one, right? It was uh, three games and uh, yeah, a a tough match. Can you just try and describe what that match was uh, like for you playing your final uh, at home and with a, a full crowd and everything? How, how amazing was that for you? Um, you know, before the that match, I. I, I was watching Yano playing against hmm. Verma, and I, yeah. I I'm already thinking of playing Yano in the final. And <laughs> uh, if I play Yano, then I think I I have already completed my mission because he is a top player, and and hmm. um, I just I, I all I have to do is just to perform myself and try to I just try to beat him. But hmm. end of uh, Verma. Uh, won that match <clears throat> and I'm uh, at the same age with Verma and we play against each other in the junior junior level and mm. and uh, you can call us uh, a, a rival so mm. I, I have to face him in this big stage again and it's really very nervous for me and <clears throat> because it's uh, my home event and I uh, of course, I have a lot of expectation on myself and uh, not only from myself, but my coaches, my family, my friends, all are watching my match in the final. Mm. So mm. I was very, very happy to to be the winner of that match. And it's like after the match, just like uh, giving out all my pressure and uh, feel very relaxed mm. uh, when, when I go on to the prize ceremony. It's very meaningful for me because when I was a kid, I watched Hong Kong Open every year. 
and yeah. my dream was to was to play in this tournament and and now I even won the the <laughs> title of this tournament. It's like uh not only the dreams come true but doing extra extra things uh on top of my dream. So it's very meaningful to me. Yeah, I understand. And I think for most international players winning your home event is a uh, is a dream like ev- everyone wants to uh, to try that but it's only very few who actually uh, get to do it so uh, i i'm a little bit jealous that you got to uh, to win your uh, your home event i would like to try to win denmark open one year but uh, yeah it's maybe <laughs> m- maybe too late for me <laughs> <laughs> but you know once uh, i was playing in the danish league and Joachim Pearson asked me a question if you can choose between Hong Kong Open and the All England, what which one would you want to win more? And I yeah. and I answered him Hong Kong Open. Ah, all right. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I think for for me, I would always choose uh, All England the uh, highest. But I th- I think you are not the only one who would say your your home event. But it's uh, it's pretty cool. But I'm also I'm quite sure you would you would also like to win All England, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, because you already won Hong Kong Open, you uh, you made two finals at the Thailand Open. You made one uh, before this one in January. You also won the Thailand Masters. You made a final at German Open. You've been ranked top ten for a, a couple of years now, and you've been quite consistent with your uh, with your ranking uh, for the past few years. So what what is like the the next goal for you or the next step for you to take? Is that to reach top five or do you have anything else uh, in your in your sights? I think the one one of the my my ultimate goal is to uh, keep my ranking as high as possible. But mm-hmm. I think for for my level now, I think uh, the the World ranking is not the most important for me at this stage because my biggest goal is to get a medal in the championships like Asian Championships, World Championships, and or even the Olympics. So hmm. uh, I think this will be more solid for for myself to to look back to my whole career. So uh, the now I I'm. Uh, working hard to achieve this target or mm. what I can call is my dream. Yeah, I think I really, I love that answer, Kalan, because I think so many people get caught up in rankings and they talk about, yeah, I need to reach that ranking or that ranking. But I totally agree with you that when your career is finished, you do not remember your rankings if you were 12 or 8 <laughs> or 7 or 15, but you remember the experience you got from what you just described, winning Hong Kong Open, that's a moment that you will remember forever. And if you stand on the podium at the Olympics, that's a moment you will remember forever and not if you were ranked five at the time or eight or whatever. So I, I love that answer, Colin. I love it. And we can also show the medal to to people who who ask for our, our uh, achievement in after we retire. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. And of, of course, ranking is also important in terms of getting into events and where you're ranked now, you also get a seating in events. So of course, it, it's important in that way. But uh, yeah, it's not as important as the, uh, the experiences that you actually get from badminton. That is, that is what we play for, right? So just one, one, uh, one question about how to get there to win those medals. What is what? What do you see as like the the one thing where you are still lacking a little bit to be able to compete with the the instance Momota or Axelsen, who are the the two best at the moment? Where where would you like to to see improvement to to be able to compete with those guys? Um, I think what matters most is to study their playing styles, their tactics on court, and to analyze their game. So I think for most of the, uh, skills and the the power or the the technique everything is not the 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 point that determine the result it's uh, about strategies on court and uh, it's also about mentality because being a top player we have to control our emotions and mm. and think quickly on court so uh, i think this is the most important to determine we win or we lose on court. Hmm. All right. And that, that actually, I was supposed to ask you in the end in the listener questions about how you stay so calm on court, but now you mention it. So I might as well uh, just ask, ask you now, like h- how do you always look so calm and in control of your emotions on court? Is it because you have so much focus on it? Do, do you work on it specifically or is it just, natural for you that that's the kind of person you are in uh, yeah in uh, in control of your emotions i think two main reasons the first mm. one is i watched Taufik diet a lot when i was young and he seems very calm on court in every matches and um mm. you just can can um you, you just won't know what he's thinking in his mind on court mm. so uh and the second reason is uh, when I was a kid, I was taught that I should not show my emotions and not letting my opponents know what I'm thinking mm-hmm. during a match. And this will uh, is the chance that I can I can win the match on court. So uh, I keep this in mind and, and until now. Yeah, all right. That that's a quite interesting answer. I didn't know you watched a lot of uh, of Taufik, but I'm sure all the Indonesian listeners will uh, will uh, find that that quite funny. And I can guarantee you that it uh, it is annoying for an opponent that you cannot read your mind at all or see your emotions. So uh, it is working what you're doing. That's for sure. <laughs> We will uh, move on to the uh, the final uh, subject uh, to talk about today, and that that's the uh, the setup in Hong Kong uh, in terms of of badminton. I want to to talk to you about that a a little bit because um, I think the national center in Denmark and Europe in general works quite a bit differently than how things are being done in yeah not only Hong Kong but m- most of Asia. So I'm quite curious to to know a bit more uh, about that. So. Just a very simple question to start off. Do, do you actually live at the National Center in Hong Kong or do you stay in your, your own places and then go every day for training? We can choose by ourselves and uh, we do have a 
a room in the center and I usually spend three days living in the center and four days living in, in my home. So make mm -hmm. to make sure I have enough time to spend with my family. Ah, yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's that's quite nice, actually. So you always have one room that, that you know that you can stay in if you need to have extra focus on uh, recovering or something like that between training sessions. Yes, and usually I will take a nap in my room uh, between the two sessions if we have a whole day training on that day. Mm. Uh, how much training do you have in a like a normal training week if you don't have competition uh, the week before or the week after? So if you're just in the middle of a, a big training block, how much training do you have at the National Center in a normal week? Um, we have only three whole days and three half days. I think this is not much comparing to other Asian countries, mm -hmm. but for European countries, uh, I'm not so clear on schedule, but seems certain time not not very long. Mm. And uh, like a full day, uh, how much training is that? Is that two times on court and one time physical, or uh, yeah, yeah how, how much is a full day? Um, we usually uh, have six hours for a full day, and uh, we usually do training on courts or hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon. Mm. And usually we will do the practice on court in the morning and uh, with the uh, fitness session and the gym in the afternoon. Mm, okay. And do you have, like in Denmark, we have the badminton coaches that are coaching us when we are on court, but we also have a specific uh, coach for the gym sessions that he, he's not a badminton coach. He's only a gym coach. Do you have that kind of same kind of setup in, in Hong Kong. So when you go to the gym, it's a physical coach who is there to to oversee what you're doing. Yeah, we, we have got a fitness coach in in the gym who yeah. just train us in uh, in the fitness part. And yeah. but but he's uh, looking after for Wu team. But is it the same in Denmark, or you all have your personal fitness coach? No, it's it's only a few guys who has their own personal uh, fitness coach. Uh, only the guys who, who earn the most money and who can pay for it. Uh, the, the rest of us, we uh, we have one or two guys that are taking care of uh, 15, 20, 25 players. Uh, so that that's quite quite similar uh, to to how you do things actually. But but yeah, I've also been wondering in in terms of uh, like. Hong Kong is known for being uh, quite strict in terms of handling this pandemic, especially compared to how we do it in uh, in, in Europe. Uh, so I was wondering if it's been different for you with your training setup during the pandemic, if you haven't been able to, for example, go home between uh, training sessions the same way as before. So has there been any differences during this uh, pandemic period or has it worked uh, like normal for you guys in terms of training? Yeah, when when there are a lot of cases in in hong kong that i mean the the pandemic is serious in hong kong we are required to stay in stay in the center and we mm. can't even go out for a dinner or a lunch and we have mm. to stay in the center all day and <clears throat> just focus on our training and this happens for uh around six months last year so uh, when when we 
before we uh, travel to Thailand, we are also in a close camp training in Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. One. Uh, I have uh, just. Uh, I have two questions left for uh, for uh, this final part about the badminton in Hong Kong, and then we move on to the uh, listener questions, and then we are we are all done. Uh, so just two two more about the badminton in Hong Kong, um, and the first is uh, it's actually a question with two questions in it. What do you see as like the biggest strength for the current badminton system you have in Hong Kong, and what would you like to see improved in the future to be able to perform even better so what are the biggest strengths and what is one thing you would like to improve in the system in the future this the in hong kong is that we always have many chances if uh, like some of the asian countries if players uh, uh, lost one to two match then they they probably will be fired or mm. they they can't uh, play any more international tournament but in hong kong we our coaches will keep giving us chances and and help us to improve our performance and gain experiences so i think in hong kong is very free i, I should say uh, free and with very little pressure mm. But uh, but also the disadvantage is I think the uh, in Hong Kong are too free for uh, and times if players are not self disciplined enough then we uh, the coaches should implement some to follow so mm. I think sometimes giving us too much freedom is have its advantage. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that's a a pretty good. Uh... Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. Then the other thing, uh, and the final question for for this part uh, is, uh, like, for the years I've played badminton, uh, I feel like the general popularity of badminton is is going up. So it's becoming more popular. Uh, the prize money is going up. The uh, um, yeah, like we have more fans. Everything is growing in badminton. I feel like. Do you feel that popularity also rising in in Hong Kong or? Are you not feeling any difference? Is it the same as it was five or uh, yeah, uh, seven, eight years ago? Or do you feel that the popularity is is going up in Hong Kong as well? I think more and more people like playing badminton in Hong Kong, and mm. I always hear the my friends said it's very hard to to book a court to play badminton in Hong Kong. Mm. But um, I think badminton fans in Hong Kong. Is not that much because people like badminton, but they seldom follow badminton news and mm. uh, really learn badminton and try to play well. They just like uh, playing on court with their friends and like more like a, a leisure activity. All right. Perfect, Kalong. I will not uh, pick your brains for anything more about these uh, subjects I prepared. Now I only have uh, I only have two questions left because uh, I already asked one of the listener questions about how you stay calm. So I have two questions from uh, from my listeners out of the uh, many many questions I got. And the first one I chose was something I also wanted to ask you. It's from a guy called uh, Sam Schrock. 
and he's asking, what football team do you actually support? And I wanted to ask it because I've seen you on uh, your Instagram lately and you've been wearing a Manchester United shirt. I've seen you wear a Juventus shirt, I think, and also a Tottenham shirt yeah. one day, right? So w- w- which yes. team is your favorite one or do you just have many favorite teams? My favorite team is always Manchester United. They are always in the first place when I, uh, when I start watching football or playing football, video games. Uh, I know nothing uh, about football. My friend just posted him on the game for me, and which is Manchester United. And he, he told me it's a very strong team and asked, asked me to, uh, to use this team in, in the game. So I start watching and watching more about Manchester United and and <clears throat> I also very much that's why I I stick with the but United is because I'm a great fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, whatever team he goes and I will I will try to support that team. And for the Tottenham I like the 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 kid of this season. That's why I I buy one. It's not because I support Tottenham. Hmm. All right, you just like to share, but that's also that's a good reason. That's a good reason, and uh, I actually like my team is of course Inter from Italy, but I I kind of like uh, Tottenham as well, and they also have a Danish player on the team, so uh, it, it's a it's a good choice uh, as a uh, kind of third club for you. <laughs> right, uh, the final <laughs> final final uh, question for you. Uh, I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to uh, to ask you anyway. Uh, it's from uh, Adriani Veronica. I think she's uh, Indonesian. And I think she will be pleased with your answer because she wants to know who is your idol badminton player. Uh, I, I know who you are thinking about, but I will guess because my idol is Bao Shun Lai, a former ah. Chinese player. All right. The left-hander. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. I, I like his, his playing style. And <clears throat> uh, when I was young, I do think my playing style uh, uh, looks like him a bit and mm-hmm. I try to learn more from his his style. So, uh, and I also watch a lot of videos from him. Mm. All right. So it's it's not Taufik. I, I thought you were going to say Taufik for sure, but it's not him. <laughs> right, Kalong, it's been uh, great having you on. I'm uh, I'm really happy that you agreed to say uh, yeah, to to be on the show. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's just been fun and it's That's been really nice to be on the show. Ah, uh, thank you so much, and it's been uh, great to get some insights into uh, both Hong Kong badminton, but also uh, also your career. And uh, also get to know that you are a big Indomie fan. And your payment for being in this interview will be that I will bring you to uh, a few boxes of, uh, of Indomie for next time. So uh, I, I hope we can agree on that, that I will give you some Indomie and that's uh, your yeah. payment for being on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember your promise. And re- really hope that after this talk show and more and more badminton fans will start following more about Hong Kong badminton and get to know about Hong Kong players more. I totally agree. Thank you, Kalong. Mm-hmm.
a great pleasure talking to Angus and I thought he made some really interesting points as well. Especially two of them stuck with me after the interview, but I'd be interested to hear from you guys listening what you took from the, this chat as well. So please reach out to me on social media and send me an email on agiontour at gmail.com if anything in particular made you stop and reflect on what you heard. Anyway, on to the two main points I noticed during this chat. Firstly, I found it really cool to hear how he was so clear on the fact that he wanted to play singles even when the national team coaches wanted him to pursue a career in doubles. I imagine it takes quite a bit of guts to disregard the national team coaches wishes and go for your own dreams and beliefs so I thought that was pretty amazing. It just makes me an even stronger believer of the thesis that coaches are here to help and guide you but real success and especially successful changes has to come from within yourself. No coach can make you good, they can help set up the right environment and guidance, but you have to stay true to yourself and find your own way to be as successful as you can be. It's the inner motivation that's key, no coach can replace that, and I think Angus' story is a perfect testament to that. The second point he made that I really enjoyed was when he talked about a higher world ranking not being of high importance to him. Yes, he said he wanted to be ranked as high as possible, but what he really wanted to achieve was not rankings, but results, experiences, and big moments. He wants medals at the important championships. I don't want to be a judge on what should motivate anyone. If a high world ranking is what motivates you, that's fine, and nothing wrong about that at all. But I really do believe it's the experiences, it's the journey to the big results and the big moments that really stick with you when your career is over. Obviously it's also nice being able to say that you held a certain high ranking and ranking plays a role in terms of qualifying for events, but no matter what level you play at, I'm sure it's the moments, the matches, the experiences that will make you feel like it's been all worth it. So my reflection on, the, on this is to focus more on like the unforgettable moments and not optimizing my ranking, although I'm well aware that sometimes it has to go hand in hand. Right, I'll leave it at that, and I hope you enjoyed the episode, and please, please, please leave a review and a rating on iTunes if that's where you're listening to this podcast. It doesn't take long for you, but it's really helpful for the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.